Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And welcome to First Presbyterian Church, our online video services. This is our third week of doing our services online on the air. And I've just got to tell you, it just keeps getting weirder and weirder. This is, like I said, the third week. And it was one thing to be preaching to the congregation across video when it was an empty sanctuary and we were just in that same space and doing our, our service in sort of an adapted way. But now being here in my own house, preaching to this camera, this feels really strange. As a matter of fact, I am very, very aware of how close this camera is to my face, how much I can see. And right now I am really feeling like I have a face made for radio. And so if I seem a little bit nervous, please forgive me. Please be patient with me. This is new and just like you, it's a very strange thing for me. But, you know, here we are in our study of the prophet Isaiah. We've been studying this theme of ruin to restoration for several months now. Now, we have been talking about events that took place over 2,500 years ago. And you know what's interesting about that is that the events of their crisis, all of those things that happened so long ago, all are starting to feel a little bit more familiar. I mean, in the last couple of weeks, as the pandemic has settled in and turned our way of life upside down, these stories of ruin and restoration are starting to seem more like front page news than ancient history. And so it feels like every time I turn a page in Isaiah, I'm actually reading a little bit about us. And so we are in a very powerful place and a very powerful study in God's word because we're in a crisis too. It's a different kind of crisis, to be sure, but a crisis nonetheless. And the prophecy of Isaiah is all about God's commitment to his covenant people in a crisis. You know, Jesus also lived in a time of crisis. When Jesus came onto the scene in around 30 AD, Israel was once again under the heel of a foreign power. This time it was the Roman Empire. And instead of being dragged off to a foreign land, this time they were prisoners in their own country. The Romans had overwhelmed little Judea. They occupied Jerusalem. Roman soldiers swaggered around the Temple Mount, violating the holy heart of Israel. They had extortionist taxes, arbitrary arrests, crucifixion, slavery, rape. These, these were all part of everyday life under Roman occupation. And if anyone needed a savior, it was the people of Israel. But we read in the Bible that at that time, Jesus came onto the scene to declare that even though they were suffocating, God was at work. He was doing something and he was moving. Now the gospel of Luke tells us that one day Jesus was teaching in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And when it was time for him to preach, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. This is from Luke chapter four. It says that the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Luke writes that he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Jesus took the words of the prophet Isaiah, God's word to his chosen servant, the Messiah, the one who would save Israel from crisis of ruin and exile and said, you know what? The prophet is talking about me. God has sent me with power and authority to restore you and all people. Now, can you imagine if next week, I stood before this crowd on this video and said, you know what? I am here to save you from the coronavirus. I am going to save you from COVID-19. I am your first and your last hope. I have the answer to all of your problems and I'm going to save you from this crisis. That's essentially what happened here. And it was outrageous. It was scandalous. And the people who heard Jesus say this, his own people, his own family, his own friends, the people among whom he grew up, they were shocked and they were angry. And they said, who do you think you are? But Jesus had told them who he is. He is the Lord's anointed. And his mission was to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 61. So let's turn now to Isaiah chapter 61 so that we can understand the roots of what Jesus said. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, so that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Last week, we talked about the fact that this pandemic is both a temporal crisis and a spiritual crisis. On the one hand, it has exposed the liabilities in both our health and economic systems as the most vulnerable members of our community are pushed to the very edge of physical and economic survival. 
On the other hand, it has exposed that too many people don't know or care about who Jesus Christ is or what he's done for us. They think that God is not real or that he doesn't care or that he can't do anything. And both of these crises are causing real pain in people's lives. A former pastor of this church, the late Dr. Robert Bullock, once wrote, The Christian gospel proclaimed beforehand by the prophet and reiterated by Jesus in his sermon in Nazareth is neither this worldly nor otherworldly. It speaks to the needs of the whole man, body and spirit. It proclaims relief for both economic and spiritual poverty. Did you hear that? Both economic and spiritual poverty. It gives hope to the physically and spiritually blind. It strikes off the shackles of both body and spirit. It is good news to, to man in his human condition. So Isaiah 61 is a passage for people in this human condition. In this situation of crisis, which is both temporal, meaning right now, real stuff, real time, and spiritual. And so, speaking into that crisis, first, Isaiah names the pains we suffer. First, he begins by talking to the people about poverty. He says, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The people of Israel lost literally everything. They lost their houses and farms. They lost their jobs. They lost their money. They lost their country. Everything that they had worked for had been taken away at a stroke. Whatever wealth they once had before the Babylonians arrived was all lost. And now they were dirt poor. Poverty is emptiness. It is a lack of something you need. It can be a poverty of resources. Or it can be a poverty of hope. It refers to people who are financially poor and to what the Bible calls the poor in spirit. You can be in poverty and be full spiritually if you have Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, you can be full. You can have everything you need from a material standpoint and yet be empty if you're impoverished, impoverished in your spirit. But Isaiah's point is this, that poverty hurts. Living on the edge hurts. So how is this crisis making you or the people around you empty? Second, he's also speaking to the brokenhearted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, he says. The people of Israel were humiliated and abused. The Babylonians had torn down their spirits just like they had torn down the walls of the city and ransacked their homes and burned down the temple. You know, crisis doesn't only break people's bodies and bank accounts. It also breaks their spirits. It breaks hearts. I heard one of the commentators on the news, a man named Stu Leonard uh, Jr., the chairman and CEO of a grocery store chain called Stu Leonard's in New York, say this. He said, this is not just a physical virus. It's becoming a mental virus, affecting more people mentally, emotionally, and spiritually than it is 
physically. You know, most of us may never actually get this virus or ever know that we had this virus, but this is affecting all of us mentally. It is breaking us in more than one way. And if we aren't careful, it will break us completely. Let me ask this. What is breaking you right now? Third, he's speaking to the prisoners and those in captivity. He says, I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives. The exiles in Jerusalem were literally taken away as prisoners. They were deported. They lost their freedom and they lost control of their lives. Nothing is worse than feeling out of control. And captivity is a loss of freedom and control, of independence and autonomy. And people are feeling this acutely right now. I mean, we're restricted to our homes. We know it's for a good reason, but this is an enemy that we can't see. It's different from a hurricane. It's different from 9-11. It's different from Y2K. I mean, we can't go to work. We can't be with our friends. We can't leave. We can't get space. And we can't be with the people we want to be with. And we're only on day four. And I know some families whose eternal spring break is about to break them. Loneliness or cabin fever, unpredictability are really starting to get to people. And we don't know how long this is going to last. Christian essayist Andy Crouch described it this way. We don't know if this is a blizzard that comes hard and then leaves quickly, or if this is a winter that is going to be here for a predictable season, or if this is a new ice age that lasts so long that we have to evolve. We just don't know how long this is going to last. But it's not just the virus that's holding us captive. It's the fruit that the virus is producing in our spirits. It's anxiety. It's fear. I mean, this is a perfect storm for people who are captive to depression or addiction or some kind of other mental illness. And this crisis pushes us to the limit of our patience and desperation. It exposes the sin that holds us captive every day. Sin like dishonesty and greed and lust and jealousy. Let me ask you this. What is controlling you? And how are you being held captive? Not just today, but every day of your life. And then there's grief. He came to comfort all who mourn. At the time the Babylonians came and the people of Israel were exiled, everyone in Israel lost someone. The destruction of Jerusalem was a holocaust. Sons and daughters, husbands and wives, friends and neighbors were lying dead in the streets, gone, slaughtered by Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers. And what was left of the population, the survivors, were, they were herded off to Babylon, walking hundreds of miles on foot. They never got to say goodbye. They never got to bury their dead. Spiritually speaking, grief is the pain of loss. The pain of emptiness is real. But I don't know about you, but the pain of loss feels deeper. The loss of a person, the loss of happiness, the loss of what could have been. Grief, I believe, is the sum of all of our other pains. It's a loss of everything. For us, this crisis not only means lost lives and lost wealth. For a lot of people, it means lost 
moments, lost graduations, lost senior years, lost weddings, lost business or travel opportunities, lost opportunities to heal or reconcile, lost celebrations. What have you lost in the last few weeks? What have you had to cancel or give up or release? Now here the prophet actually gives names to the hurts of the people. It hurts when you lose your wealth. It hurts to be abused, humiliated, betrayed, and confused. It hurts to lose your freedom, and it hurts to be lonely. It hurts to lose people, and it hurts to think that you could die at any time. And Isaiah names their pain because he wants them to know that the Lord hears their prayers. He knows their needs, and he understands their struggles. And later, Jesus names our pain because he wants us to know that the Lord also understands our struggles. You know, God became a man to prove that he understands what we're going through. He lived it for himself. He understands our joys and our temptations, our fears and our pain. As the book of Hebrews says, since we share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He has suffered as we have suffered. But our pain is not all that he names. The Lord also declares his promises. First, he promises to step in and act. I will speak good news to the poor and bind up the brokenhearted and set the captives free and give comfort to those who are grieving. The promise of Jesus Christ is that he knows our needs and that the Lord is going to do something. He doesn't get specific about how he will address these needs, our poverty, our brokenness, our specific captivity, or our specific grief. Because each time and each crisis and each person is different. But the Lord has promised to act. And his restoration will be tailor-made for our time and for our lives. Second, he promises that this crisis will end and a new season will begin. He says that there will be a day of vengeance, but that there will be a year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah juxtaposes these two important events in God's cosmic plan. First of all, the day of vengeance, the day of judgment is the day of justice when God will make right all of the evil that we've committed against each other, the wrongs that we've done to each other, and the disrespect and the blasphemy we've committed against the Lord, his creation, and his law. Those who've exploited and abused others for their own benefit will be brought low, and those who were exploited and who have suffered will be lifted up. Our selfishness will be unmasked and the idols of our culture will be put to shame. But then it will all be over. It will end and the year of the Lord's favor will begin. Built into the law of Israel was the concept of the year of Jubilee. Without going into the details, the year of Jubilee was supposed to be the year that reset the system. The poor were, were restored to their lands that were lost. Debts were forgiven and whatever the failures or crimes or of their ancestors Families got a new start. You know, this stimulus package coming out of Washington, all these packages are going to be a huge blessing for a lot of people because they delay debt, they delay payments, they delay evictions, they delay foreclosures, they de delay penalties. But the year of the Jubilee will be a game changer on a whole different level because it's going to do more than just delay the people's burdens. It will forgive 
and restore. It will break the generational cycle of poverty so that true peace without poverty will be restored. It will make these multi-trillion dollar relief and stimulus packages look like spare change because it will stimulate the kind of spiritual, social, and eternal health that money just cannot buy. Isaiah's point, however, is that God's vengeance will be for a day, but the Lord's favor will last for a year. The Lord's favor lasts longer than his anger. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. God's promise to Israel was that their crisis will end and the Lord's provision will follow. This crisis is going to shake some things out in the short term, but then will lead to long-term restoration. Third, the Lord promises that he will give those who have suffered and trusted him a whole new look. He will give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Ashes are a sign of grief. A party hat is a sign of joy. Instead of putting ashes on your head, instead of ashes, he will give you a crown and a party hat, a symbol of joy and honor, rather than a reminder of pain and shame. And this is a new look that people will see. It's not just that you will be restored on the inside. People will see it on the outside. People will see your restoration like the clothes you wear. And they will smell it on you like a beautiful perfume. You know, I've, I've been doing a lot of these video meetings lately, a lot of Zoom and FaceTime meetings lately. And sometimes I've noticed people will come on camera and you just want to say, yikes, are you okay? I mean, what were you doing? Why are you so anxious? Why are you depressed? Why are you so scared? Because those things start to show after a while and people see it. You know, when you go online for a visit or a meeting, how do you look? Are you taking care of yourself every day? Do you look like you have hope? Or do you look like you've given up? Are you exercising every day? Are you eating well every day? Are you getting outside every day? Or are you just letting yourself go? I'm here to say and to beg you, please don't just let yourself go. Because God has not let go of you. And he's not going to let go of you. Finally, Isaiah promises that the Lord is empowering us. He's empowering us to claim his mission in this crisis. He says, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. They, 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 they will rebuild. God will empower his people. You know, the truth is, is that we, we desperately want God to just fix all of this. We want him to drop a cure and a vaccine in our laps. We want life to get back to the way it was. But God doesn't promise to fix everything for the people of Israel. And he didn't promise to fix everything for us in this crisis. I mean, yes, of course, God could do it. But he wants us to be the rebuilders of the world so that the world will see the mercy and transformation that God has given to his rebuilt people. This is not for our glory. This is for his glory. God will apply every bit of supernatural power necessary to get us through this crisis. But God doesn't want us just to go through the crisis. 
not just to go through the crisis. He wants us to grow through this crisis. He's not going to replace the human element. He is going to give us just the right boost, just the right knowledge, just the right power, and just the right miracles that we need to grow through this. But while we are working through this crisis, God is working in and through us, empowering us for kingdom purposes. I learned a really interesting fact a few days ago. A medical expert on the radio was describing the difference between a vaccine and an inoculation. Now I confess that I'm not a doctor of medicine, so I'm happy to hear any rebuttals that you might want to offer. But what he said was this, a vaccine is a chemical that is introduced into the body to fight the disease, but it is an outside element. An inoculation introduces elements into the body that actually teach the body to fight the disease itself. So a vaccine fights the disease for you, but an inoculation teaches our bodies to fight the disease for ourselves. God is using this time to expand our capacities, to build our skills, to stretch our imagination and lengthen our arms and broaden our hearts. He is not going to give us a vaccine for our spirits. He's giving us an inoculation. He's teaching us and empowering us to do his work in the world. The most outrageous claim that Jesus made that day in Nazareth was to claim the first words of the prophecy for himself. He stood on the claim that the same spirit named by Isaiah is the same spirit that overshadowed Mary in his conception, that descended on him like a dove at his baptism and drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Holy Spirit is the link connecting the dots of prophecy and the gospel. It is the connection validating the claim of Jesus. By the Holy Spirit, he was born to fulfill this mission. By the Holy Spirit, he has the power of God to fulfill his mission. And by the Holy Spirit, he has the authority of God to do what is necessary. And through Jesus, the Lord did miraculous things to prove that he is the God who keeps his promises. He fed hungry people thousands at a time. He made lame beggars walk so that they could stop begging and stand up for themselves. He healed lepers so that they could go home to their friends and families. He took the hand of both Jews and Gentiles, insiders and outsiders, Pharisees and prostitutes. He cast demons out of both adults and children and gave them back control of their own lives. He set the woman caught in adultery free from her self-destructive life. He set Zacchaeus and Matthew free from their extortionist greed. He subdued nature by calming the storm. He forgave his own executioners and taught other people how to forgive. He restored the life of a Roman soldier's little girl and raised his friend Lazarus from the tomb. And when the final stroke had to be delivered, the Lord raised Jesus Christ himself from the dead and set the disciples and all humanity free from the fear of death so that we could boldly follow his commission. And just as God sent his prophet to declare Israel's freedom from exile, 
And just as God sent his son to save us from our sin and declare his kingdom, now by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is anointing his people to step into this crisis. By the Holy Spirit, we were born again to pursue his mission. By the Holy Spirit, we have the power of God to pursue his mission. And by the Holy Spirit, we have the authority of God to pursue his mission. Jesus has identified the pains that our people are suffering in this crisis. So what are we going to do to show people that we believe that God is real, that he loves us, and that he has the power to make a difference in our lives? That he has the power to make a difference in this pandemic and beyond? How are we going to bring good news to the poor? How are we going to bind up the brokenhearted? How are we going to proclaim liberty to the captives? And how are we going to offer comfort to all who mourn? Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, you sent Jesus on a mission. You anointed him by your Holy Spirit and you sent him forth to change the world. Lord, I believe and we all believe that you are calling us, your church, that you are calling all people to step forward into this pandemic, into this crisis and fulfill that mission that you have set before your church. Lord, empower us. Give us just what we need not only to get through this crisis, but to grow through this crisis. And Lord, give us the courage to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and comfort for all who mourn. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.